Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back to Conversations with Z and Vindesh. And today's topic is about change. Change is hard, but it's also beneficial. Z, as we were talking, you made some interesting observations about change and stagnation and how pain relates to stagnation when we don't evolve to new circumstances, when we don't challenge ourselves, when we don't uproot old habits, old tendencies, we end up in the same routines and that can cause us pain. So if we're not evolving, we're stagnating, we're falling prey to sickness and disease, either physical or mental. But the flip side of that is that if we do want to change, that change itself in the moment feels very difficult. And you have this beautiful analogy. You were talking about plants. You've mentioned that you're into sustainable gardening. You're exploring that feminine side of yourself, which we all really applaud you for. (laughs) And in your gardening, you've realized that plants, even though the conditions may not be optimal, if you've got a plant in a plot of soil and that soil doesn't have enough nutrients, you would think if you take that plant out and you put it in a more nutrient-rich environment, you change the environment, it would benefit the plant. And yes, over time that might be true, but the disruption from going uh, from nutrient-poor soil to nutrient-rich soil, the plant is not prepared for that. And so the change might be severe enough to kill the plant. And I think when I look at people and I look at impediments to change, I've often thought the same way, and I really like this analogy that you brought up. And the way I've put it sometimes is that change requires change, because it's not just the habit or the tendency that you're trying to change. It's all of the collateral, all of the surrounding infrastructure, or the relationships, the narratives that you have about why you're doing things the way that you are. And when you want to change and you want to seriously change, you need to address all of that infrastructure. So, for example, if you look at someone and that person is unhealthy and you say, okay, why don't you just eat better? Well, I derive a certain amount of comfort from food. Okay, well, maybe we can get you past that. Okay, but if I'm not struggling with food and I'm not struggling with weight problems, that's what I talk to my friends about. I've got a group of people that I hang out with and we all complain about our health and how difficult it is. So if I disrupt that unhealthy behavior, it also disrupts my social system. And that creates a whole set of problems for me. Then if I have to think about, okay, am I really going to change my health and is that possible? I have to come to terms with the fact that I've got some agency. I've always been in a position to do this. And therefore, when I look at myself in the past, I might think, God, you've been so weak. What has prevented you from changing? It's much easier to blame some external condition. So I have to deal with that narrative and clear up my mind around that. So even something as simple and straightforward as changing your health, you can see all the layers that people build onto this and all the collateral damage, which makes it very difficult to change. Z, maybe you can start us off and just build on the analogy about the plant, flush that out in a little more detail. What have you learned from that? And how can we apply that when we think about why it's so difficult for people to change? Yeah, Vin, just to um, second your, your comment, 
nature provides for us every lesson in our natural world. Uh, again, I always say physics is the study of natural phenomena. Humans are natural phenomena. Plants, nature is a natural phenomena. What can we learn by observing, doing our own uh, physics, uh, practicing physics? Well, when you uproot that plant, there are so many uh, things like fungal tubes and little uh, pathways of commerce that are going on that are even on a, on a microbial level that when you give it everything it needs, it has been so used to running at a deficit that the shock of that change can readily kill the plant, cause it suffering. So too with people. You hear stories over and over where small and large transitions in people's lives, even for the better, ended up not working out for them. You hear stories of people who live in horrible situations, uh, situations of abuse, for example. You have a person that's living in a situation of abuse and you say, here's a way out. Here's a way out of your abuse, out of your miserable situation. And here's a key to a new home, a new reality. And they say, oh no, I, I can't go that far. I would love to just stay in the abuse a little bit. I could take it if it was only every other Sunday. Because all these other things that I am familiar with, come with it. We look at our society right now as it's going through a lot of uprooting of ideas. Nothing has really happened or changed, per se, other than the awareness of it is not sustainable. See, prior to this, it was always sustainable. We don't have to look at it. That's what made it sustainable. We don't have to reckon with it. We don't have to do anything. And so now that it is light has been shed on a problem, then so many people are being challenged to reckon with their own personal ethics, ideas, the foundations of their beliefs, the titling they give themselves. I'm a really decent moral person, and I, I wish the well of all human beings except these human beings. I think that we should live in peace and love and grace, except those people. So once that awareness is presented, it's very shocking. It's disruptive. It's like somebody shaking the plant at the base and the, and the soil breaking away. We haven't even uprooted it yet. We're just providing the omens of change. And we've already seen how disruptive that can be. the police are becoming more violent. They're actually becoming more violent because they're trying to cling to the way it used to be when it wasn't seen. Other groups are not knowing which way to go or to respond because even though it was bad, I never had to look at it. And I was always the beneficiary of keeping my head in the sand. But now they're saying doing nothing is part of the problem. So now I have to move from 
my normal place, my familiar place, to a healthier, unfamiliar place. So it's creating a tremendous amount of disruption. You know, people feel like fools now posting pictures of their cats and ice cream cones on Facebook. Now they have to put a, a black screen along with their the popsicles they made. Or their kitty cat dancing with a, a fur ball or something. They have to have a picture of George Floyd or something in the background. It's very disruptive. And it's very chaotic. It's very challenging. But change is always difficult and it always leads us to a place of evolution and away from stagnation, as you said. Stagnation will always and only can cause pain and discomfort. So we always want to veer to the side of fluidity. And even during the times of fluidity, it can be tumultuous. It can be off-putting if you ever had to get up and move somewhere or make a decision to leave a job. That's never easy. You had a job, hey, I got the worst boss in the world. The pay is, is mediocre and my talents are not being um, acknowledged. But I don't want to leave because I'm used to it. And you can change the word used to it to anything. It's stable. It's normal. All the things that go along with it I'm aware of. It's the demon I know as opposed to the angel I don't know. And you know what? I'm comfortable even as I decline. I'm comfortable with the losses. You have these giant cargo ships. And they fill up with millions of gallons of fuel. And they have vent tubes on them. And so when they're in rough seas, the fuel is just splashing out. So they calculate into the equation spillage. A certain percentage of spillage. And that is accepted. But it destroys the environment and it hurts the bottom line. But nobody changed because you know what? We've calculated that in. We will manage the loss. We're managing the loss. We're not managing the gain. We're managing the loss. Because changing it is going to disrupt the way we do our forms. The way the mechanisms work. It'll disrupt someone's flow or what they thought was their flow. And it may increase the flow. Maybe it'll increase my workload. So I don't want to change at all. I believe myself to be a good person. And if I just turn and look the other way, that status won't be challenged. I don't want to make any comments on anything. I want to weigh all sides of the story so that I don't have to be a part of any story. Because change is difficult. But again, when you don't change, it affects your mental health, your emotional health, your social health. It, it hurts your world. The brain needs stimulus change just as soil needs to be tilled so too does the brain need to be revised, rejuvenated, re-stimulated. You can do the simplest things every day until they become part of you and then even to the point where you're doing something and it's boring, which is the 
is the folly of a fool. An intelligent person should never find themselves bored. But if you're foolish, you're a foolish person and you find yourself bored, you can revisit whatever you're doing as if you were tilling soil and you will find richness in that. Or you can then supplement it so that it invigorates, rejuvenates, and adds to you. Accepting the change is difficult allows you to open the door on progress and close the door of regress. It is that simple. You follow me, Ben? Yeah. Yeah, I follow you. And you make so many interesting points that tie to a lot of discussions we've had in the past. I think if the normalization of dysfunction that we talked about, where life can become an endless series of accommodations. So you start out with an unsustainable lifestyle. You're working too hard. You don't have enough time with family. That makes you anxious. So then you have to take medication for the anxiety. You have to start taking medication just to go to sleep. You don't have time to work out. That impacts your health. And once you get into those types of situations, it always becomes easier to make one more accommodation. Let me deal with the immediate problem. Let me put on another Band-Aid instead of uprooting that entire plant the way you're talking about. Because the thought of disrupting an entire system that's functioning, even if it's not functioning in a sustainable way, it requires some energy. It probably creates fear because it's going to force you to move to a new equilibrium. And yes, you can find that equilibrium, but you may not know in advance what that looks like. And we don't like uncertainty, so we tend to rely on what we know, what we feel comfortable with. So I do think part of it is this endless series of accommodations that prevents change. I think another big part of it is herd behavior. And just the social circles that we have and the popular narratives in our tribes, our culture. I always think about this book that I read, and it was a book called How to Get Rich. But it wasn't a How to Get Rich book written by someone who makes money selling books. It was written by someone who'd made about a billion dollars in the publishing industry. And this person, since the time that he was a young boy, had a singular focus on making money. That's all he ever wanted to do. And so he was able to do that, sacrificed a lot of other aspects of his life, but was able to make a lot of money. And then after he'd made the money, he reflected on it, decided to write a book. And his point wasn't, you should do this. It's more, if you do want to make money like I have, here are the things that you need to do. One of the things that he talked about, which I found fascinating, was how everyone he talked to wanted to hold him back. They wanted to tell him how he should not do it. He should not strike out on his own. He should not take the risk. And he said up front, if you go down this path, if you stop following convention, other people are going to say, don't do it. It's not worth it. Why do you want to give up stability? Why do you want to give up status? Why do you want to put your family at risk? And then he made a point which I thought was so well put. He said, they're going to pretend that they're concerned about you. But they're really concerned about themselves. They're going to say that they're afraid you're going to fail. But they're more afraid that you're going to succeed. Because as soon as you succeed, you leave them behind. And suddenly, what does that say about their lives? If you're an example of someone who can do something different, who can live in a different way. So I think a lot of the resistance to change is just the narratives that are in place. And as you put it earlier, Z, 
it's almost like we have a certain sandbox or a certain plot of land that we exist in. And we take that as a given. And that's so structurally ingrained in us, we don't think creatively about other options. We don't think about moving to a different plot of land. We don't think about changing conditions. We don't think about, well, the hell with everyone else. If they say something uh, to me and they don't approve, that's okay. This is my life. It's not their life. I can always find new friends or I can learn to live with people, but I've got one relationship with some people. I've got maybe other relationships that satisfy other needs. We just get so locked into certain mindsets and narratives, and it's almost like a cage that we create. I think that's really, in my mind, the biggest impediment to change. It's nothing physical. It's not any actual hard constraint that we see. It's this mental cage that we've constructed which is layer upon layer of idea and narrative and comfort and aversion to risk and aversion to uncertainty. And each one of those things, it's like a bar that's imprisoned us. And it feels real and it feels solid, but it doesn't exist in reality. It only exists in our minds. So if that's the case, and if we buy into your observation, the change is healthy. If for no other reason, then the world is constantly changing. So we're not a changing, we're not adapting to situations around us. We're not evolving, as you put it. We're not challenging ourselves. That's eventually going to lead to an unsustainable situation, an unhealthy situation. If we accept that, then maybe one way to frame this is, how do we unlock the door to that cage that we've created and start to set this infrastructure and these ideas aside so that we're more free to move in a different direction. Again, everything we talk about on the DPO, uh, these podcasts, things we're doing, uh, leads to good health, right? How do you stay healthy? How do you navigate life on earth and, and, and live in optimal health and well-being? And, and, and when, when you are striving for that, you know there are formulas that exist, strategies and formulas all about. Our basic strategy and formula is the acceptance that all things are changing, nothing stays the same. The past is gone, the future is, is yet to be known, and right now, be here right now. So that when you know that accepting change allows you mobility, a portability, sustainability, and um, stewards your own ability to manage your own evolution and involution, then you look forward to it. You look forward to it not in a, with a childlike uh, zeal, but more like a mariner going out to sail the world. You prepare yourself. You look at the weather patterns. You look at the old maps and those that went before you and say, okay, we're going to encounter a real adventure. And so I'm going to be able to move through this world and be highly adaptive, highly accepting of what's coming. As you said, you will always encounter people that their concern isn't so much for you, but for maintaining their own illusion of you in relationship to them. It is a natural habit. It is not done out of malice. Whenever you open yourself to a new chapter in your life, a new adventure. You leave the old adventure behind. So who wants to be left behind? 
people saying, well, if you're going to move on, what about me? Who hasn't heard that? Hmm. What would that mean for me? You have a roommate and you guys live in a despicable situation. And you say, you know, I'm thinking about getting a new place. And they say, well, what about me? Or you say, look, I can't live in this infestation. I can't be stagnant. We can't breathe in this apartment. And they say, well, I know it's bad, but what about me? You're at a job. You're talking to co-workers. Why, God, the boss is a tyrant. It's, it's a hellhole here. I think I'm going to look for another job. They said, what about me? Can you give them a word for me? Can I go with you? Can I take all the madness here to the place you're going so my world stays the same? So we know that change is an adventure. Change is an exploration. Change is the unknown. But we know that that we think we know if it does not change, it becomes the thing that undermines us. Even couples uh, in relationships, they do well when they evolve. I know so many people who have been in long-term relationships and they say, well, we, we, we just grew apart. And then the partner will say, well, I thought everything was great. I had a few couples over the last couple of years. And it, it, it seems like they, they all have the same script. I thought things were going so well. The other person said, no, I've been hurting for a long time. I told you that five years ago. Oh, but we've been together for so long, I thought you could just take it. And we would just stagnate together. But stagnation suffocates life. And you can't maintain a singular state. The universe and the physics of our natural universe requires movement, growth, and transformation. You cannot hold back transformation. You can kill something or you can allow it to grow, but you cannot make it stay in one state. Nothing in our known universe stays in the same state. Even our great son has changed in my lifetime. And in many lifetimes, that son will not exist. Become a red dwarf and everything will change in time. But in the short time, in our lifetime, <clears throat> making ourselves available to be not just uprooted, but to be replanted, to transport and transplant ourselves into a healthier, more nutrient-rich environment more spiritually rich, more emotionally rich, more knowledgeable, uh, more intelligence. So you have to uproot. Even if you go to the finest college in the world, eventually you have to leave that college, uproot yourself, go out into the world, and test that knowledge. Then it was truly knowledge. So change, in investing in the Challenges of change is one of the simple keys to self-development, self-progress, and self-realization. That point that you just made, that either you can kill something or you can let it change, but there's no in-between, I think it's so fundamental. If you think about life, it's a continuous movement, a continuous progression and evolution. That's just the nature of life. So if you want to opt out of that, you're basically saying, I'm going to opt out of life. I'm going to choose death. 
And I think this is something that people don't realize because oftentimes we think we're in a static situation and we think that situation is fine. We're not paying attention to the collateral damage. You talked about that couple where over time, yeah, maybe on the surface things look fine. But underneath the surface, you've got one person who's in more and more pain until it just becomes unsustainable. And along the way, we're putting in more and more energy just to keep that system going. So that system is on the verge of falling apart. And even though it looks like it's fixed, on the one hand, it's falling apart. On the other hand, we are compensating. We're putting in time. We're putting in effort, money to keep it going. And the, there's a real cost to, to just running in place. Uh, to keeping that thing as is. So I think we have to recognize that that cost is always there, even though on the surface it might not be apparent. And perhaps the greatest cost when I think about it is time. So if you accept that ultimately everything changes, we have to change, we have to evolve, being in a static situation is unsustainable. The longer we stay in that static situation, the more time we waste. Eventually it has to change. Some conditions have to give. And I think about my life and every time that I've gone back and forth and wavered on decisions and I haven't taken decisive action, there's been a tremendous cost to me. It's wasted my time. There's been an emotional drain because there's this constant analysis. Uh, there's a back and forth where you think, okay, I've got to go. In my case, I was thinking about leaving a job and starting my own business and there was so much thought around, well, I have to leave, but it's going to be silly to leave because I've got such a good job. I'm in such a good situation. What's going to happen if things fail? What's my backup plan? How is this going to affect my family? And it was just this circular thought pattern over and over and over. And over a period of time, it just completely exhausted me. It makes you neurotic. So not only is it wasting time, I mean, eventually, why not, why not just get to the outcome right away? If you're going to get there eventually, you can save that time, do something more productive with it. And worse than that, along the way, you're in tremendous pain and you're in this energetic deficit just trying to keep this thing going. Uh, so just having an awareness of that cost in terms of time, in terms of the emotional cost of resisting change, I think is important. Maybe having that awareness is one of the things that can catalyze change and having the recognition that change is inevitable so why not get on board and just get on the train? And one more thing I'll say, Z, and then I'd like your thoughts on this. Another piece of the resistance to change, maybe we just get, we hold on to things too tightly. You've mentioned fluidity a few times and how fluidity or good health, for example, is the ability to flow from sickness uh, to a disease-free state. So if we can keep on moving, keep on evolving, that's a sign of physical and mental health. But a lot of times we tend to do the opposite. We hang on to things like a life raft, like these ideas or this particular situation is saving us from this great unknown, which is the opposite of fluidity. And that's what causes the stagnation and the resistance to change. How, help us understand this idea of fluidity and this mindset. How can we move from a mindset where we are grasping and holding on to one where we are more fluid, more welcoming, which if we can do that, it's more naturally going to allow us to change as opposed to having to change all at once when something becomes completely unsustainable. Well, you think about what is it that you fear? So if I use the analogy of, uh, of 
of sustainable gardening, you'll see a plant grow and, and there'll be maybe an abundant harvest for a period of time. Now it's not as abundant. It's not uh, producing the way it was. And you see that its containment is, is, is at, at its limit. Uh, the soil is depleted, so you go and you get the artificial supergrow, and you inject this chemical in the soil, and then you see a little bit of activity, and then it's, it, it goes back. It's not productive. So you, you add a little bit more, and <clears throat> then that becomes toxic. And then you go and you do things to deal with the fact that now that plant can no longer defend itself against insects. And so you, you realize it's taking more energy to maintain stagnation than it is to allow growth, to uproot, to refresh, to revitalize. It's like you're trying to hold a freight train from moving forward on a downhill and you're just using every ounce of energy and power you can muster to prevent the natural flow of gravity from taking place as opposed to harnessing that flow. So it's really that venture into the mind. Venture into the mind. What is it that you fear? What are you what what is it that is so valuable to you? What is it so threatening to you? A lot of times a sense of threat. Like you went through a list of fears and threats just by moving to another job. So asking yourself in a very uh again using the dispassion observer technique and saying um what the hell do I have to lose? Weigh that against, what do I gain? If I gain my freedom, what do I lose from being uh, confined? Some people in, 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 in confinement situations prefer the confinement because the fear of being on their own, the fear of independence and freedom causes them to stay in a confined state. Many people, high recidivism in prison. Because people, they like the stagnant air. They like the known, the routine. But now that you're free to grow, there are all manner of expressions of life that you no longer have the false sense of controlling. They have some, something known as the Stockholm Syndrome. So many of us are Stockholmed. We're so used to being captives that we just buy into all manner of diseased thinking and concepts. Carlos and I were talking about that earlier. We bought into ridiculously fake, sick, twisted narratives. And our intelligence peeks out and says, hey, you know, this is wrong. And then we beat it down. We use all kinds of energy to shut the light off, to cover the light. It's like instead of cleaning the dog shit off your carpet, you just keep piling new carpets over it to prevent the scent from coming out. It takes less energy to clean the shit off the floor than it does to mask the aroma. But because we're Stockholm, because of all these things that we're so terrified, this idea of a myth, a phantom, the Sith Jadu, this crazy magic we think will go on. To the point where we learn to live with shame. 
and we find that normal. We can't really look at ourselves. We find that normal. Mm-mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We buy into things that we know if we wrote it down, it would be ridiculous. Society has shown us that. These events like the George Floyd thing have been going on in all of my 60 years and 60 years before that in all manners of people. Oh, I'm shocked! No, the only thing that happened, you were shocked like walking in a library and rubbing on a staticky floor shocked. It's always been here. You just weren't able to turn away this time. The stink has always been here. You just couldn't cover up. You just couldn't get enough de-stink on it. Hmm. Now you're saying, oh my God, I'm shocked. I would never support human rights violations. Yeah, you've always supported it. And it takes a tremendous amount of energy to fortify yourself, to lie to yourself, to avoid that street. Avoid that discussion. Remember a woman told me one time that her mother never talked to her about sex. How much energy does it take to live in a house with somebody? Watch them grow from infancy to puberty and never discuss the most basic element of human life? How do you do that? How much effort and energy, how much tension... My God, how, how tightly strong would that household be? My head's about to burst just trying to imagine it. How do you hide your body for years in a house with people and, and, and they wonder, how did I get here? And you just have to figure out all sorts of uh, acrobats of dialect and vernacular to just, yeah, let's not talk about that. You see what happens? Change is difficult, but it leads to something, growth. It leads to abundance. You know, you talk to people sometimes, and, 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 and I tell you all the time, when I look at you, I see my own son, my brother, and then uh, people say, I was telling Carlos that, he said, hey, I'm 30% Congolese. I said, you didn't have to fucking tell me that. I'm looking at your cocoa brown ass every day and saying, hey, maybe you're one of my fucking kids. And you never had that discussion? You never had that discussion? Do you know the energy it takes to cover up that kind of scent? So it takes a lot of energy not to change. It takes more energy not to change than to change. It takes more resources. It takes more spirit. It wears you out. It's, it costs more human commerce to not change. And people do all sorts of manner of things. Look what this government is doing. Just because people wouldn't change their health habits. Most Americans are metabolically unhealthy. 80%, 78% these are preventable cure with my lifestyle change. Nobody wants to change. So now Kofifi comes and it's cost trillions and trillions of dollars to cover up the stink of the behavior that should have been changed 50 years ago. Word. It costs too much not to change. The cost of change is short-term discomfort. 
the cost of not change is astronomical on a macro and a micro level. The insurance companies have plotted the miasms of your behavior and they can tell when you're going to die by how long it takes you to get off of a floor, your neighborhood you choose to live in, your behavior. It's predictable because these people won't change. So we've calculated that into the commerce and it's going to cost you not to change. It's going to cost you a lot. It's going to cost you a lot in money, work hours, lost time with your family, and overall human currency. Change is good, even though it is difficult. Not change is hell on earth. It's a chosen hell you live in. You can change your posture just simply through awareness. But you know what? The world will look different when you hold your head up. You can't turn away from things when you hold your head up. You can't ignore things when you hold your head up. You can lie to yourself, but you're lying to yourself. And the weight of living with that lie burns you and creates stress in your life. It undermines the texture of life to the point where you're not living anymore. Because you're spending more time trying to shield the lie and support the lie and nurture the lie than living the life. So you have what the Vedas say, the walking dead. Every day seems monotonous and all you look for is to wake up in the morning hoping that you're not here anymore. People go to bed at night hoping that's the last time they have to go through this miserable existence. It's like a prison inmate with a life sentence living in solitary. All because you don't want to change. You don't want to change. You don't want change to come. And then you try to build a fortress around that. Again, I don't want the people around me to change. Why? Because now you're you're you're, you're in the uh, you're, you've reached a level of insanity. You're crazed. I want to stay in my own pigeon coop and stay on my rat wheel in my pigeon coop, and it's safe and it's comfortable. It is not. It's neither. It stinks to high hell, and your life is diminished to a point where it's not a life worth living. In the Tao, they tell, in the Vedas, they say every human life should have a well-celebrated birth, a storied life, and a well-eulogized death. A celebrated birth, a storied life, and a well-eulogized death. So, with your desire not to change, you missed out on all of that. They may have celebrated your birth and it stopped right there. Nothing ever happened. You just occupied space, left more shit behind than you cleaned up. That's not, that's existing. It's not living. So change is important so we can feel life. Sometimes you just got to get up and go. Sometimes you got to roll the dice. Sometimes you got to just try it. So that that middle part, from that celebrated birth to that well you die, if you have a damn story to tell. That's what your life is, is in between birth and death is a story. And in order to have that story, you have to be able to change the pages. You have to go to different chapters.
that is living. A book with a, big, a, a, a back and a front cover is not a friggin' book. It's a book cover of no interest, of no value. You follow me, Vin? <laughs> yeah, yeah. L let me just get off the ledge that I'm about to jump off of after listening to this inspiring conversation that we're having about the living dead and the cost of not changing. It's so interesting the way you put it. On the one hand, it's really depressing to hear. And a lot of it, frankly, hits home. I've lived through some of the things that you've talked about growing up. We also never had discussions about sex. Maybe once, twice. That was something we just didn't talk about. There was someone in the family who adopted a daughter. And I mentioned that once. I either asked the daughter if she was adopted or, or something like that, or I'd mentioned to someone else that the daughter was adopted. And what if my uncle said, no, we don't talk about that. And I was like, why? Why the hell would we not talk about that? That's just how it was. And if I think about the cost of that later in life, one, you're right. There's this tremendous amount of energy where you're suppressing so much of your humanity just to sidestep shame, to sidestep this artificial shame that has no place to begin with. And I think about the impact that's had on me today. There's a lot of myself that I feel is repressed, and that's a legacy that I'm dealing with. And maybe there is some resistance to, to change, to evolution. I don't know if it's related to that or not, but certainly there are aspects of myself which I've started expressing in my 30s and 40s which I never did growing up because there were certain things that we just didn't say, certain things that we just didn't do. You go beyond that and you said something like sometimes you just have to get off your ass and do something and try something. And that's something that's been particularly useful for me. The way that I think about it is when in doubt, act. Do something. A lot of us at least in my peer group, people who have spent a lot of time in advanced education, who have master's degrees, who are in analytical jobs, so much of life is in our mind. And we try and apply that same science that we bring to work to everyday life. So everything has to be measured, controlled, predicted. That becomes the approach to life, and that is a huge impediment to change. You will never know how life is going to turn out. You might be able to see the next step. You can't see beyond that. A lot of life, a lot of the evolution we're talking about, it's trusting, it's trusting that visceral part of yourself where you have an experience, you interpret that experience, you learn from it, and you move on. How that process unfolds, you don't know. But you do know that if you pay attention to your surroundings, if you pay attention to your experience, you can do more of what benefits you and you can do less of what hurts you. And eventually you'll figure it out. But that requires a certain confidence in yourself, a certain willingness to act. And I think for part of the population, myself included, where we tend to be very analytical, we tend to live life in our mind, it just becomes this impediment to action and it becomes a recipe for stagnation. So I think that point about acting is fundamental. And if we have a bias towards action, that's perhaps one remedy 
for stagnation and resistance to change. So Z, we've talked a lot about mindset. We've talked about the need for fluidity. And if we can cultivate those, if we have sufficient awareness of the situations that we find ourselves in, we can adapt as needed. Help out the person, though, who has allowed the situation to build up to an unsustainable level. So it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to change my mindset. I'm just going to be more fluid. I'm not going to get into situations that are extremely draining or I'll be able to correct before they reach the unsustainable point. But let's say we're just cultivating this awareness today. We haven't really thought about it in the past and we're in a relationship which is draining us. We're in a job which is killing us. We have a certain lifestyle which is taking a big toll on our health. But if you look at that analogy of the plant, we've adapted. And uprooting the plant and moving to a more healthy condition right away might just be too disruptive. Maybe it's more than we can do at this point. What is your advice for people in those situations where you've been doing something for five years, 10 years, 15 years, it hasn't served you. You start analyzing your life. You know it's not serving you. You know that you need to move. You need to act. But you don't have the knowledge or the wherewithal to instantaneously shift the situation. How do you get started and how do you move incrementally? Then the realization, accepting this realization, you will either make a change or you'll be changed. So the choice is yours either way. You will either steward your own change or you will be forced to change. The plant will either be uprooted and given new resources or it'll stay there and die. It will change from life to death or it will change to a more abundant life. So change will come. You have to ask yourself, do you want to be in the driver's seat of that change or do you want to be on the in the steward back in the steerage car? And you think about, again, what we said, it takes more to not change. You mentioned the word shame, the phantom of shame. Why are people ashamed? Because in their stagnant world, in order to maintain the ethics of that stagnation, they have to add more toxicity to it. So they've added shame to the stagnation. You see what I'm saying? Now, not only are you stagnant, but you're ashamed. So you have the dog shit hidden in your house, but now you're ashamed of the smell. So it it does the intelligent one a great benefit by accepting change. As the French say, c'est la vie. Such is life. Such as life. Life thrives on change. So if you want to have a thriving, vibrant life, roll with the punches. Accept change. Go with the wave and manage it just enough so that it takes you further into life and away from death. Oftentimes when people are swimming and they get caught in the water and they fight the riptide or the undertow, they said, don't fight it. All great swimmers, great rescue people say, don't fight it. You're going to feel like you're going to die, but it's going to pull you down and then it's going to let you go. But if you fight it, it's going to hold you down longer. 
Because you're trying to go up and it's taking you down with great force, but it's only so far it'll take you down that it's going to let you up. So in that moment, you have to be like a person caught in a riptide or undertow. You surrender to it and go down to the bottom, go all the way down and let it pop you up. And then there you can navigate yourself to safe shores. But if you fight change, you will exhaust your resources and it will you will be amongst the minion of walking dead. Allow change to embrace you, to go with it, to pilot or co-pilot you through life. It is inevitable. Change is good. Even if that moment it doesn't seem good. It's different. Escaping from your captors. Freeing yourself from Stockholm Syndrome. Exploring new horizons. Getting rid of all the baggage and weight that's required to maintain stagnation. Open-hearted, open mind, unencumbered. I was always told by a great professor, life is a short trip. There's no reason to take a lot of bags. Take what you need. Acquire what you need on the way. Live off the land. Be open-hearted. Be observant. Change is good. Change is difficult. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I think one of the lessons that I'm taking away from this and we've talked about this before, is why take life so seriously? It's not something that you have to get perfect or get right or end up in a certain place. We're all headed to the same freaking destination. So why worry about whether everything turns out exactly as you want or it doesn't? And in fact, if we do what you're recommending, which is just surrender and move according to the opportunities that present themselves, life becomes more interesting. It's more of an adventure. Why would you want to wake up every day to your point and just do the same thing over and over with perfect predictability? Why not take advantage of the nonlinearity, the possibilities that could occur if you just open your eyes and you relinquish control? So I think part of changing the mindset is recognizing that there is a benefit to fluidity. It just makes life a lot more interesting. It makes it a lot richer it creates a much more compelling story, as you talk about, between your birth and your death. So instead of looking at change as something to be afraid of, if we look at it as something to embrace, something that provides some texture or some excitement, maybe that'll help us go with the flow and stop fighting the riptide or fighting gravity, which eventually is a battle that we're not going to win. Definitely a war of attrition. What are you thinking, Carlos? Carlos is here with us. I just got through chewing him out upstairs. but I'm thinking about what you said earlier. Um, invest in the challenges of change. Fortune favors the bold. And the root of not taking that step is fear. You said it's fear. And it takes so much energy to supply that fear to make one fight against the current, right? Fear, or in its lesser forms or different levels or possibly its phases, ultimately is what stops change. Stagnate. Stagnate. Stops evolution. 
you get root rot. That's right. That's just what's circling in my head right now. It's just that fear, that loss of... It's not familiar anymore. It goes back to fear. Um, it's different. That's a type of fear. You know, it's... It's, I have no control. That's a type of fear. I don't know what's going to happen. That's a type of fear. And it goes down to just being afraid. Yeah, Carlos, and you see it played out on so many levels in society. People have fear of um, deficit, fear of deficiency, fear of starvation, so they become gluttons. Mm. Everybody's overweight for fear of not having food. Clean your plate. Eat it all up. It might not be anymore. People fear change in society, so they buy guns and they get more guns. They're running around certain areas. Every family has ten guns. Hell, you only need five guns. Why do you have ten guns? Right? So, all fear requires a hell of a lot more energy than courage. Mm -hmm. The courageous one walks simple. The fearful one walks highly encumbered. You understand? Yeah. So, so that's a big part. And stagnation, again, when we fear change, we avoid change, we then support stagnation. And let's leave with that basic formula again. All pain, all pain of all kind is caused by stagnation. All stagnation is caused by, by deficiency or excess. Too much of something or not enough of something. So the opposite of stagnation is flowing, changing. Evolving. Evolving. The opposite of that is death. There is no devolving. You're dying. Mm. <laughs> You're declining. Life is evolving and changing. Death is stagnant and non, non-evolution. You follow me, Vin? Change is central. You mentioned that over and over. There's no alternative. It's either change or death. And if that's the case, we should cultivate an attitude of fluidity, an attitude of curiosity, of being willing to take risks, of being willing to act instead of stagnating. The stagnation is something that's simply going to drain us and waste our time. Eventually, we'll have to change. We'll have to get to the same place anyway. Why not benefit along the way? Why not enjoy the process? So let's stop wasting time, stop wasting energy, and get on board. That's right. Get out there, learn something new, uh, move in different social circles, Read, study, grow, apply, try things, um, live your life. So when that book is closed on your life, between birth and death, there's a damn story to tell. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.